Remember a little couple weeks ago I asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Remember that one? Keep harping on that. Two weeks in a row I'm bringing that up now. Well, there's another question that usually goes along with that, that that I've been asked several, several would be a huge understatement, many times, and I'm sure you guys have been asked this too. Have you ever been out, you meet somebody new, and they say, what do you do? How do you answer that one? If someone says, what do you do? Well, the other night, um, Josh and I were talking, and uh, we hadn't rented a movie. Sorry, yeah, you better stop that. (laughs) 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 It was Friday night, and we hadn't rented a movie. And he said, talking to me, he said, what are we living for? (laughs) And I said, geez, Josh. Like, if... If we're living for a Friday night movie, then we got to come up with something else. And he said, well, what are you living for? I said, I'm living for God, Josh. So I'm going to Blockbuster? (laughs) (laughs) And he said, I'm living for the kids. It's a really good question, isn't it? What are you living for? Kind of goes back to what do you do? What do you want to be when you grow up? And ties into what do you do? Typically, people ask, what do you do? And they want to hear what you do for your profession. What do you do? Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a cowboy, or I've never met a cowboy, but you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm a businessman. It's what do, you, what do you want to do? Well, several years ago, I decided I'm going to try not answering that question with, with any type of vocation, which, which worked real well when I went to seminary, because that's, you know, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm a graduate student. But the question is not really supposed to be focused on, for a Christian person, your vocation. It's supposed to be focused on, what do you do? Remember, what are you going to be when you grow up? You're going to be holy. Or what's a holy person do? That's what we're going to talk about today. A holy person can be a lawyer, a doctor, a a cowboy. But the specificity of what do you do is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at the choice involved in answering this question, the privilege that can follow, and the proclamation that will result. And we're going to do that in 1 Peter. We're up to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to look at six verses today, which are heavily packed. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, We see, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So, uh, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This starts with a choice. This all starts with a choice, this Christian stuff. You understand that that you're not born as a Christian. You you don't default. God doesn't have a a grandfather clause for getting into heaven. Well, your parents and their parents and their parents' parents were all Christians, so you're in on on a grandfather clause. Doesn't work that way. We all have a choice to make, an individual choice in what we're going to do with Jesus. Are we going to accept him, or are we going to reject him? Now that choice is a very important choice, and it's not a choice that should be taken lightly, because there are some serious conditions that go on that choice. Becoming a Christian isn't a matter of coming before God for a pass to get you into heaven, or a secret password. You know, so you walk up one day and you're like, 
Blue alligator. Ha! Open the gates. He knew the password. That's not being a Christian. Being a Christian is about turning your life over to Jesus more and more, day by day. It's about saying, you're God, I'm not, and let's play those roles. That's incredibly difficult. That requires a lot of growing and transformation. But when you become a Christian is a moment in time when you accept Jesus Christ. You don't have to be made perfect to be a Christian, but you, you enter the process of being made perfect. But it comes, it's a, it's a big choice. It's not a simple thing that you do whimsically. And as we see here in verse 4, it says, As you come to him, Peter starts. When you look at the tensing of the participle, that's, that's a present active participle. It means it's a continuing event, which, which really is implying, as you continually come to him. That's what a Christian does. A Christian accepts Jesus Christ as a one-time event, and they're saved. They're a Christian. They're born again. Remember, we heard about that a couple weeks ago. But when you're born again, something you do is you continually come to Jesus, moment by moment, day by day. You're doing that so that you can grow closer in your relationship with him. But notice something more important. It's access. You get to come to God directly, personally, and intimately when you become a Christian. So in a sense, you get a pass. We're going to talk a lot about the Old Testament in this sermon today. Back in the Old Testament times, people didn't walk up into the presence of God. There were a few people that could. The high priest, certain prophets were able to speak to God directly, interact with Him directly. But most people had to be kept at a distance. Today, as Christians, we have the opportunity, in fact, we also, you'll see, have the obligation to enter into God's presence directly. And we're going to talk about that more, but the intimacy of how close that presence is will blow your mind when you really understand it. But as you come to him, a living stone. That's a curious analogy, isn't it? Any geologists out there are going to need a geologist for this. Are stones alive? Why would Peter say a living stone? I've read that phrase, I don't know how many times over the years. A living stone. Will you be grounded in Christ's foundation like a bedrock stone? What he's alluding to here is the Old Testament temple was made out of what? Stone. Dead stone. Piled on top of each other, prepared very specifically. But he's, he's going to be going into a lot of a... You'll see this section here with an, an Old Testament um, reference back. The living stone is Jesus. And what he's saying is, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old, Old Testament temple that was made out of dead stone, where God dwelt. Remember? People would access God through the high priest in the temple. Well, now we have a new temple. Colossians tells us that, that in Jesus, the fullness of God dwells. God used to dwell in the Holy of Holies. Now he dwells more fully. In, in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is a living stone. He's a living temple. He is the temple in which God dwells. So Peter refers to him as a living stone, rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, and then says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Let's pause there a minute, get back to this choice. First choice is, do you accept Jesus? If you do, you got the access to him, and you're going to be coming to him. But, before you make that choice, think about this. If you accept Christ you will be made into a living stone. And look what he says about living stones. Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So I ask you this. If you found out that being a Christian meant a high likelihood that you would be rejected by people, even though you'd be precious in God's sight, would you still want to be one? Jesus, we'll see in a little bit, was an offense to many. 
If we're like living stones, we too will be offensive to many. Do you still want in on this thing? See, being a Christian is a serious choice. There are lots of people who call themselves Christians that have no idea what it means, and we need to be careful with that. Because to the world it gets confusing. But it also gets confusing to us. Being a Christian isn't kind of like, I'll do that on Sundays, I'll do something else Monday through Saturday, and I'm good with heaven, and I'm good with the world, and, and, and you're just, you know, you're straddling the fence. I'm good with everybody. No. Being a Christian is, is about being good with God, being right with God, being precious in God's sight. The downside to that is we're strangers in a strange land. We're sojourners. We're aliens. We're not going to fit in perfectly. In fact, we'll be persecuted at times. But here he's talking about being rejected by people. Now, we need to, we need to think about that somewhat, don't we? Because if we want to love Jesus, we've got to love him all the way. You can't kind of love Jesus. You can't kind of be a Christian. It's an all-or-nothing proposition. You, you jump off the diving board or you don't jump. You can't kind of jump. You know, you tell someone, went to the pool today. I kind of dove in. Well, what do you mean you kind of... Well, you know, I, 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 I was going to dive. No, you either dove or you didn't dove. That's good grammar. It, it's something we need to think about. Now, if, if you have accepted Christ, but you haven't thought that through, that's okay. But you need to realize that being a Christian is a serious thing. It's a serious choice. It's an unconditional commitment to Christ, in which you will screw up all the time. But you come before Him as you approach Him repentantly. So that choice starts this whole ball game here. Are you willing to accept Christ? Are you willing to be a living stone? Galatians 1.10. Paul's saying, I'm going to try to quote this out of my head. Am I now seeking to please man, or am I seeking to please God? For if I'm seeking to please man, I'm not a servant of Christ. Often we seek to please men, don't we? We want to panhandle to the people. We want, we want the accolades of the world. Because it feels good. It's nice to be loved and appreciated. And people want to be like you. And, and we want to be the center of attention or at least part of the crowd. But Paul says, if, you, if that's your motivation, are you really a Christian? Because the motivation should be about pleasing God. Remember we had that illustration last week about, what was the boy's name, Chad? The, the little Valentine's Day kid who, who made the list. And he, he was always out on the outskirts of the group. <clears throat> well, sometimes that happens. But see, if I were to finish that fictitious illustration, when Chad grew up, all those kids who got those valentines will come and they'd see him and they'd say, Hey, Chad, why were you so different? Why, why were you so happy even though we never embraced you? Why did you make good choices when we didn't make bad choices? And little by little, people think, Oh, that's strange. is highly appealing. But we got to look strange to be appealing. And it starts by not being focused on what people think of us, but what God thinks about us. So there's a choice you have to think about. And when you make the, the right choice, when you accept Christ, and you trust Him that even though there are these difficult things that can happen, that He's in control of them, and they have a perfect purpose, well, then you start getting into good stuff. You start getting in the privilege aspect of it. So we're made as living stones. Now this... this this should blow your mind, or I'm not communicating it well. And if I'm not communicating well, I hope God will for me. We are like living stones. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament temple. He is the New Testament temple, the presence where God dwells fully. Let me take you back through the Old Testament a little bit. When Israel left Egypt, they followed God in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Remember that story? That's in Exodus 13, if you want to read it. That was God's presence among them. Then God's glory filled the tabernacle with Moses. Remember the tabernacle? That's in Exodus 33 and 40. It's where God's presence dwelt. I'm doing this fast so Renee can't check my citations. <laughs> I've checked them. They're right. After the tabernacle, Solomon built the temple and God dwelt there. That's in 1 Kings 8. 
Then Ezekiel. This is where people start to lose it a little bit. During Ezekiel's time, God's presence departed from the temple because of Israel's sin. So he's no longer dwelling there. But he promises in, in, in verses like Haggai 2.9 and Malachi 3.1 that he will again dwell, his presence will dwell in the temple. Okay? Do you know when that was fulfilled? When Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple. People assume that God would, would dwell again in the Holy of Holies, but that's not what he said. He said his presence would dwell fully again in the temple. And when Mary and Joseph brought little baby Jesus into the temple, remember that? And they met Simeon, the old man. Well, God's presence again fully dwelt in the temple. He didn't say his presence would dwell in the Old Testament temple and never leave it again. He said his presence would dwell fully in the temple and there it dwelt in Jesus. And there it left with Jesus when Mary and Joseph took him out. Because in Jesus, the fullness of God dwells. And here's where it blows your mind. Do you know what happened after Pentecost? Here's a verse you could look at. John 14, 23. You know what it tells us? Guess where God dwells right now? In us. Now, stop and think about that a minute. Because it's, it's almost impossible concept to grasp. The God who created heavens and the earth. The God who performed all these wonderful miracles throughout the Bible, who led the Israelites out of Egypt, who saved you know, Daniel from the lion's den, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the flames, who, who brought Jesus back to life from the dead. The, the God who did all this stuff, He is actually present within us. Remember the Holy of Holies? You know those, those, uh, those passages, the intricacies of how the temple was built and how to come before God and when to come before God and, and the specificity of who could come before God and, and you don't mess with God and, and Uriah, you, you touch that, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, you're going down. God's a holy God. And all of a sudden, He shows up in us. When you grasp that, when you grasp that fully, that radically changes how you live your life. Where you go, what you say, what you do. Yeah, months ago I talked about a 24-hour thought camera, and who'd be willing to wear the hat that projected everything you're thinking up on the screen? Very few people volunteer to wear that, myself included, I wasn't volunteering. But you know what, that's because we'd be embarrassed of what each other would think. Or no, if we realize what really people think about in their heads. Well, guess who's in there with you? God. And are you seeking to please men or to please God? See, I shouldn't care if I put that thing on my head and you see what goes on. Because it doesn't matter. What matters is what God knows about me. And this is what God says. He says, if I trust in Him, if I'm obedient to Him, if I let Him take control of my life, when I plop that thing on my head and project it, if you got to watch it 20 years from now, and you saw a playback to what happened today, you'd be like, wow, that's crazy. How did that happen? And I'd say, I have no idea. But what happens often is, it doesn't change that much. Because we get good at the, at the facade stuff. We get good at walking the Christian walk. We learn the certain words we're supposed to you know, use. We you know, have a blessed day, I'll pray for you. We say all the right stuff, nothing wrong with those things, but the inside, the part God wants, is where we don't let Him get. And part of that is because we don't fully understand what it means to be a Christian, and we don't fully understand the reality of the fact God dwells within us. Now, partially that's going to give you a little bit of the heebies, that God's watching everything you do, you know, kind of like the domineering parent, I'm watching you, Ooh, I heard what you said, I know what you're doing, I know where you're going. You, know, you imagine your mom driving behind you, you know, when you're like 17 years old, you look in the rearview mirror, my mom's right behind me, oh no! Well, God's always, God's always hunting you down, but that's agape love. 
Remember we talked about the pursuant love, loving people that don't want to be loved? He loves you so much, he will pursue you anywhere to help you make good choices and live a good life. But not in a creepy sort of way. In a completely loving sort of way. God dwells within us. The more we meditate on that, the more we realize what an awesome privilege that is. That you and I carry the very presence of God within us and are empowered by that presence. This isn't kind of like the trinket from the the souvenir shop in, in heaven. Oh, look, a little bobblehead God. I'll put it in my pocket. No, this is the actual God. When you accept Christ. You are a turbocharged sports car. The problem is we don't often fuel up on the right fuel. But we got all we need. We got all the power we need to accomplish anything. You know the the verse that says, I can do all things through Christ who empowers me? Oh, yes, we can. The question is, are we willing to do it? The first privilege is that we are a spiritual house. We are a temple in which God dwells. We are the holy of holies. We We need to live like that because we're also, Peter tells us here, a holy priesthood. So, here's what I want you all to say. When people ask, what do you do? You say, oh, I'm a priest. What do you do? Oh, I carry the very presence of God within me. Now, you watch the reactions. You go, okay. Going to need you to head out of here real quick. You could get to that down the road. We'll talk about that. That's the last point. But we're a holy priesthood. The Old Testament priests, they had some serious, serious stuff they had to do. First of all, you didn't wake up and say, I think I'm going to be a priest. I'm going to go to priest school and become a priest. No, you couldn't just decide to be a priest. You had to be in the lineage to be a priest. And priests didn't get off duty at four and go hang out in the town and you know, consort with the ladies and drink the fine alcohol at Jerusalem because they had to remain ceremonially clean. You can't come before God if you're hanging out among, among the pagans. The priests were a holy people, and they had to be holy because they came into the very presence of God. It was a serious responsibility, but an awesome privilege because they could approach him personally, they could speak to him directly and hear from him uniquely. Well, guess what? Each and every one of us are today through Christ. A priest, a royal holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, he'll say later. Each and every one of us has complete, unfettered, unequivocal access to God. We speak, he hears. We hear from him directly too, through here, through prayer, through circumstance, through general specific revelation. But there is not a person alive today who loves Jesus that can't come directly into the Holy of Holies because there it resides in you. We are able to come completely before God. Do you grasp how amazing that is? Not too long ago, Shaquille O'Neal was in Washington, D.C. You ever, you ever hear this story? It's a true story. And he decided he was going to go meet the president. Because he's Shaq. And Shaq is well known. He figured if he walked up to the gate at the White House, he could announce his presence. And they'd, they'd call into the Oval Office. And President Obama would say, well, send him in. Sure, I'd love to meet him. So he, he pulled up. He got out of the car. He walked up to the gate. You know, big, burly Shaq. And uh, he says, I'm here to see the president. And they said, that's great. See, I'm, Sha- I'm Shaquille O'Neal. And the guard says, I know who you are. He said, but you're not coming in. What do you mean? Can you call? He says, you're not on the list. You can't come in. Shaq was incredibly well known. He thought that the reputation would get him in. But guess what? If you're not on the list, you can't get in. Well, imagine if one of the the daughters, one of President Obama's daughters, walked up to the gate. Well, first, obviously, the gate would open because they wouldn't be walking by themselves. But if they walked up to the gate and said, I'm here to see the president, they said, well, come on in. You're his daughter. Come on in. So they walk in and they walk right up to the Oval Office, but they may have a problem there because what if he's in a meeting? They'll say, hold on, you can't go in right now. Or what if their dad's out of the country for a week? Well, you can't talk to him right now. They have pretty good access to the president, but not unfettered access. Well, guess what? Our Heavenly Father never goes away on on a business trip. He's never too busy in a meeting. And even better than that, he's not unable to do something. 
We can not only get through the gate, we can get into the office and we can sit right on his lap and talk to him whenever we want. That, folks, is an incredible privilege and that's what being a priest is all about. But it's also a responsibility. It's not something we should take lightly, but it's an awesome privilege of accepting Christ. And the other part of that word priesthood is a difficult part. It's holy. We've talked about holy. Set apart. It's being in the world, but not having the world in us. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? It's to... It's to have a radically different mindset. It's to live a radically different life um, than the world lives. And that's a process we go through called sanctification. So the other pri- we have three privileges, right? We have the, uh, living, the living stone, the holy priesthood, and here's the last privilege. What do priests do? What was one of their primary responsibilities in the Old Testament? To offer sacrifices, to make offerings on behalf of the people to God. Well, Peter tells us right here, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable through, to God through Jesus Christ. Well, guess what, folks? One of the privileges we have is to give spiritual sacrifices to God. What's the primary spiritual sacrifice we're called to make? You're right. Romans 12.2. Flip there. That's one we're not skimming by today. You know what Romans 12.2 says? Patty does. Look at you, Patty, quoting scripture out of nowhere. Yeah, you got to quote a couple more. We'll give you a shirt. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform... I'm sorry, 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then verse 2, we all know that one. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our primary spiritual sacrifice is our life, to give it all to God. And then to trust, trust through the, the, to God, to be transformed by Him so that we can discern His will through the Holy Spirit to know what specifically He wants in and through our lives. It's realizing that everything we have, you know when I pray before church, I'm always talking about, thank you for entrusting this day to us. Every, t- every day we wake up, is entrusted to us for a specific purpose. There are no wasted days in God's kingdom. He's not saying, Renee, can you work four days a week for me and take three days off? No more than saying, you know, you can breathe four days, stop breathing on third. Stop breathing for three. God has a specific purpose in every single day. And part of our um, privilege as a living stone, as a holy priesthood, is to use those days for him, offering spiritual sacrifices, saying, it's not for me, it's for you. But what God wants is uh, 2 Corinthians 9-7. He wants a cheerful giver. We have a song we've been listening to in the car. It goes, God loves a cheerful giver. Ha, 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 ha. It's right, though. Because often we think, okay, God, you want this for me? Come on. I got nothing going for me and you want that? You want me to do this for you? Come on. I got no friends. You're going to take my last friend from me? I want you. God, come on. Can't I have a break? It's not the cheerful giving we're called to. The cheerful giving is... It starts with this, God, I, 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 I don't really want to, but I'll do it. But then when you do it and you see what happens, then you say, oh man, okay. And then you do a little bit more, and before you know it, you're like skipping around life, not literally, skipping around life, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I can't wait to do it, because when we're obedient to Him and we offer those sacrifices to Him, amazing things happen. It's an incredible privilege in our life. When we start doing these things, when we make the choice, and we, we partake in the privileges fully, something happens. We know, we do what we're supposed to do. Over here. It says, 
But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I'm in verse 9. A people for his own possession. That's what we're talking about. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So here we go full circle. Before we start church, what's God been up to in your life this week, right? This is not some futile exercise to make you guys uncomfortable. I'm not trying to see how long we can be silent or to make eye contact with people, you know, wondering, oh my gosh, is he going to stare at me? I'm going to have to say something. No. What I'm doing is I'm presenting a time for all of us to proclaim the excellencies to one another what God's been doing in our lives since he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, realize if it's that uncomfortable here, which I fully understand, it's pretty uncomfortable from up here too, just so you know, it's even more uncomfortable going out into the world and proclaiming those excellencies too. But, it's what we're called to. And there are two, two main stumbling blocks that keep us from doing it well. The first one is we don't fully realize and experience these excellencies. God dwells in you. Cool. No. God dwells in you. Whoa. Now you're starting to get it. The more we, the more we understand that, you know, I, I, say that, well, I'm, I'm going crazy with president illustrations today. Say the president's coming by your house for dinner tonight. You know? Are you going to be like, oh, it's kind of cool. Someone calls you, hey, what are you doing today, Patty? Nothing. Got some dinner plans. That's about it for the weekend. Be like, Check it out. I got this call from the White House. The president's coming by, and he said I can invite people. If you guys want to come over and meet him, we'll come and meet him. You, you, you're excited. It's a cool thing. Well, you know, someone calls, what's going on? Oh, my gosh, you wouldn't believe it. God's dwelling in me. I'm walking all over the place like a priest, offering all this awful stuff. Oh, my gosh, it's just crazy. I can't even articulate it. Well, that's a little closer to what we're supposed to be feeling. The problem is we don't fully realize it. We have been so brainwashed by the world that we can have amazing concepts come into our head and never make it to our heart because we don't really fully believe them. Do you believe you have complete unfettered access to God? Intellectually, we all say yes. Do you believe you can trust God completely? Sure, the Bible says so. But do you live like it? Do I? Not all the time. Should I? Absolutely. I I'm just ordered a book last night called Christian Atheist, which I'm really, I've, I've heard about and I'm looking forward to reading. And it's uh, about uh, people who believe intellectually, but don't necessarily live like it realistically. You see, I think we all get stuck in that rut sometimes. You can trust God fully, but until you trust Him, you're going to have a hard time proclaiming your excellencies. His excellencies. We're good at proclaiming our excellencies. The other problem, which ties right into it, is we have a lot of concern over other people's reactions. Peter tells us that Jesus was rejected. He was offensive to people. We, we truly want people to know Jesus, but we don't want to offend him and we don't want to be rejected by him, right? That gets to be a little tricky because we create this plan on how to lead a person to faith in Christ. And we're real clever with it. Like, I won't talk about it until they ask. And when they do, I'm going to go real gentle on them. I'm just going to say the perfect stuff that they need to hear. But I'm not going to say anything until they ask. And, and I'm not going to say too much. And I'm not going to bring it up because I don't want to offend them. Because I need to be around them because I need to bring this person to faith in Christ. Well, you know, I don't care about that. God says. He says, here's what I say. You do it this way. You trust me. You turn your life over to me. You let me do things in and through you. And you will be unable to contain yourself. Now realize, living stone, as you do this, you are going to offend some people. They're not offended by us. They're offended by him. Realize that. You are going to be rejected by people. They're not rejecting us. They're rejecting him. If I, tell, if I called someone up today and I said, do you know that God dwells within me? They would say, you are crazy. 99% of the time, probably. But that one person who needs to hear that is going to say, what do you mean? It's a person that needs to know that God is not an impersonal deity, that God is a real being who loves them and wants to restore them to a right relationship with them and dwell within them and care for them perfectly. And there are people that need to hear that, and they will say, wow, how do I get that? 
And when you hear that, it's amazing. We need to first realize the truth into our heart. And we need to trust that God knows what he's talking about. God's plans for leading people to faith are pretty crazy. He started with 12 folks, and he blew it up all over the world. Would that have been the plan you made? Take 12 ordinary people, have them hang out with Jesus for three years, and they're pretty skittish folks who mess up a lot, right? And then set them free. Go on, tell the world about Jesus. That's not how I would have done it. But see, it worked pretty darn good. Well, today in the American church, we have all sorts of programs and ideas about how to lead people to faith and make disciples and grow the church, etc. Well, that's all well and good, but it doesn't work. Because what God needs are faithful people. I've been floored as I've been reading through the Bible this year, how God uses small numbers of people or individuals who trust him to do amazing things. God doesn't get groups of 20,000 people to go out and tell people about Jesus. He works with one. You know the story of Gideon? Preached on this two and a half years ago, I think. Gideon was a, a weak guy. He was skittish. He was, uh, he was uh, lowly. And God was going to use him to set the people free. And Gideon went out into a battle against a huge military force with a, a goodly number of people, about 100,000 people. And God says, even though you're outnumbered, you're going to have to pare down the numbers here a little bit, weak Gideon. So they pared it down and pared it down and pared it down. Before you know it, Gideon's got a battle. He could have fit all his people in this room. He's going to take on 100,000 plus people in battle. That doesn't play well. If, you're, if you go sat down at the Pentagon, you, know, you would not have a job very long if you're saying, I think we should bring just a few hundred people into battle against this massive military force and trust the Lord for victory. And they say, okay, you go. We're going to bomb them now. But you know what happened with Gideon? He won. I know another story in the Bible about this guy named Joshua who took some people and they marched around the city for seven days. And on the seventh day they yelled. And you know what happened? Crump. The wall fell down. I know this other story about a guy named Moses that led a million people through the desert. Where do you eat in the desert? Where do you buy clothes in the desert? Where do you get water in the desert? Oh, but they got it. But to get to the desert, they rammed up into this huge body of water, and oh my gosh, we're going to die. But you know what happened? All Moses did was pick up a staff. The water opened up. You see, Moses doesn't have, didn't have problems telling people about, oh my gosh, do you know what God did? Gideon didn't have trouble telling people, oh my gosh, do you know what God did? Joshua didn't have trouble telling people, oh my gosh, do you know what God did? Well, folks, this is what I want for you and what I want for me. I want to trust God so fully that we can't help but say, oh my gosh, do you know what God did for me and in me and through me and wants to do for you? And I'm sorry if you don't like me because I tell you, but I love you so much. Remember we talked about strange love. I love you so much. I have to tell you. And I'm really sad if you reject me because I tell you, but one day you're going to realize why I told you. And I pray that it serves as one link in that long chain of context leading you to faith. But folks, I don't care about myself because for me... It's all about Christ. My life is his life, however he wants to use me. And part of that is to proclaim his excellencies. And as we do that, if you want people to come to faith, trust God and watch what happens. God doesn't need a mega church to lead a community to faith in Christ. God needs faithful individuals. And I know that God has has amazing plans for this church, and I've already seen some of them play out. But I also know that the more faithful we are to God, the more obedient we live our lives, God will use us individually and collectively in amazing ways. And when I say on a Sunday morning, what's God been doing in your life? I am hopeful and I, and I truly believe there will be Sundays when I just simply take this thing, I close this up, these cleverly crafted words, I set them there, I sit down in the chair, and for the entire time we are here, we just listen 
to what God has been doing in and through our lives. And we go out and we start telling people about what God's been doing in and through our lives. And we'll have a whole bunch of people that think we're absolutely crazy. And I'm okay with that. You know why? Because there'll be other people that walk through that door that we know that say, hey, I want to hear the stories too, and i got some to share also. This is just a book of the amazing things that God has done. He's done them through other people in this book. These, these temples, these like living stones where God dwells, are here in part to proclaim His excellencies. The stories we could tell, the potential that every person has here, sure, someone may be just a simple little hammer, but you can't bang a nail without a hammer. Someone may be a file. Well, you can't really, or sandpaper, you can't really prep the wood without the sandpaper. But when we realize we're all living stones built together to be God's living, living temple today, the church universal, it's an amazing concept. That's what Peter's talking about today. What do you want to be when you grow up? Well, God says you should be holy. What do holy people do? They proclaim the excellencies of God, who called them out of darkness and into his marvelous light. How do they proclaim the excellencies? By understanding the privileges that they were given by the choice that they made to accept Christ. Next week we're going to get into a little bit more specificity of how that goes. But suffice to say for this week, folks, Jesus is a pretty amazing guy. The access we have to God is unbelievable when you grasp it. And the, and the thought, the fact, the reality that God dwells within us should blow your mind because there is nothing you can't do. There is nothing you won't be provided for perfectly because of who dwells within you. We're all supercharged. We're spiritually supercharged if we're just willing to trust. And I'll close with this here. When I came to faith, I, I remember making a phone call. I was so excited to be a Christian. I wanted to tell the whole world. Picked up the phone. Boop, 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 boop. I, I, I'm a Christian now. Do you know what that Well, the term Christian gets confusing to people. So you, can, you really want to mess with them. You go, I believe in, I'm born again. I believe in Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. I am so excited. Do you know I realize that, that he is the truth? Can I tell you about it? kind of falls on deaf ears a lot of the time. And here's what happens. I went to work a couple of days later. I'm telling you, I'm a Christian now. You won't believe it. And, and you know, you meet a couple of Christians. They're so excited for you. And I remember one lady said to me once, oh, the new Christian excitement. It's so exciting. And then it wears off. I was like, I was like it's not going to wear off. And then you feel it kind of wear off. You know, as days turn into weeks and months and years. And yeah, God dwells in me. I can come before God whenever I want. I'm going to heaven. Yeah, I trust God. Well, what happened to the first phone call to the old fogey Christian? Well, you start leaning too heavily on you. Because that fired up passion I had at the get-go is supposed to get stoked. And the lady who said to me, oh, that, you know, that new Christian smell. Yeah, that fired up new Christian, it, it fades. No, it doesn't fade. It fades if you, if you live worldly. It fades if you live to please people. But if you live a holy life, set apart for God's purposes, it doesn't fade. It grows and it gets more refined. You see that first phone call I made? I chuckle at it now because it was such a stupid attempt. But you know what? God will bless it because it came. It was a spiritual sacrifice. It came from a pure motive of love and just wanting to tell people. Well, as we grow in our faith, that gets refined. We'll talk about this next week in verses 11 and 12. It gets refined. You don't just kind of just... It doesn't, you know, that's, I love Jesus. That's about the best you could do at first. It gets refined. But God will use whatever you out if you're doing it as an obedient child of God. And that fire keeps growing and growing and growing and growing till you get to the point that when you wake up each morning, you say, God, I can't wait. What you got in store? 
I'm sick today. I don't care because you're going to do something with it. I feel great today. Awesome. Where are we going? Who am I going to meet? What am I going to do with them? Because there's not a wasted moment in God's kingdom. And that access is open to all. Peter's telling us, what do you want to be when you grow up? Holy. What are you supposed to do? Love people. What do you do? Here's where it starts. In this part of chapter 2, and we'll see it through the next couple chapters. It's an awesome thing to be a Christian. My goal is for, for me to realize that more. For me to, to help you realize it more. And for all of us to live like it. Because when we do, wow. Who knows what God will be up to. Let's pray. Father God, you are a, an awesome God. And we are uh, actually pretty awful people. Uh, we are people who have trouble trusting you. Who have trouble obeying you. Who have trouble following you. Uh, who have trouble spending time in your presence through prayer or through your word. But God, we know that, that you love us in spite of all that, that you forgive us for it, and that you want to transform our lives so we don't live like that. You want us to live recognizing who you are, who we are, and what you've done for us. God, please help us understand what it means that you love us, what it means that we are set apart for you, and what it means that you, God, dwell within us. God, those are concepts we can't grasp apart from the Holy Spirit. But I just pray this week that you would help us understand that more. That you would help us not see being a Christian and living as strangers and being weird at times to be a burden, but rather to be a blessing. Knowing that we're here for just a brief moment in time, and part of the reason we're here is to help tell people about you as we proclaim your excellencies. God, you are good, you are great, you are good all the time. Please help us to realize that, to live like that. And God, I pray for us all as individuals, for us collectively as a church. God, give us amazing stories to tell. Let us see miracles performed in the lives of people. Let us have stories to, to shout out for all of eternity, both on this side and the other. Let us sit beside Moses and Joshua and Gideon and Paul and, and all the great people that we read about in Scripture and share stories alongside them, praising and glorifying you. Let Moses tell of the sea being parted, Gideon of the battle won, Joshua of the walls coming down, and us. Yes, God, that story you want us to be able to tell, those stories you want us to tell. God, I pray that you would empower us to trust you, to be changed by you, to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds, God, so that we can do things as mighty as those, even more mighty, through your strength and power which resides in us. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for all you do, for who you are and for loving us, and for calling us to these privileges. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.